Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so the title for tonight's message is, what are you filled with? Are you filled with all the fullness of God? The Lord is, the Lord is so gracious. And he is so full of compassion. And we make a savior known that is full of grace and full of truth. Go over to Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter number three. And we're going to start reading at verse number 12. You might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's try to get a hold of that thought tonight. We do live in a land that is so full of wickedness, yet the Lord is so full of compassion. And in Romans chapter 3, verse number 12, the Bible says, let's back up a little bit. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's in case anybody would slip their hand up and say, oh, but I'm good. No, no, not one. Not you either. Nobody's good. It goes on. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Not only do we have a world that is full of wickedness, but we have a world their mouth is just full of cursing their mouths are full of bitterness they're bitter against god they curse god they shake their fist at god they hate god and romans chapter 3 gives us a picture just in case when you read there's none that doeth good and god says no not one and you still want to defend and justify yourself he goes on and gives some specifics of things that people do not a one of us are deserving of salvation. The land we live in is so full of wickedness and deceit, and cursing and bitterness. Let's continue to read and see what the Bible says. That their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the pandemic that we are suffering from right now that isn't over is that of young people with no fear of God at all. And it's evident when we do ministry because the younger people, this 18 to actually younger, this 16, 15, 16 to 21, 22, 23-year-old crowd, arrogant, cocky. You hand them a gospel track. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the 
There's no fear of God before their eyes. They're quick to use God's name as a curse word. They're quick to use God's name irreverently. They're quick to text somebody OMG, but they are not quick to have any fear of God. They don't fear God, which tells me they don't respect their parents. They don't respect authority. They don't respect preachers. They laugh at Christians. And that's the day in which we live in. Nonetheless, we press on. Verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. They don't fear God. They have a mouth that's full of cursing and bitterness. God, by his law, is going to stop their mouth. Because it'll show every single one of us guilty. But for the holiness. Of our majestic savior Jesus Christ. Therefore by the deeds of the law. There shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You read somebody in the law and say well. Huh, I've never murdered anybody. And they justify themselves because they think they keep the law. But by the law is the knowledge of sin. It should show you that you can't keep it. Because you might keep one part, but you're not keeping the other. You might have not murdered somebody, but you certainly hated your brother in your heart. And God says, you're guilty. But now, verse 21, the righteousness of God. Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all. And upon all them that do what? Them that believe. For there is no difference for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is what we are preaching tonight. That is what our gospel tracks put forth. That is where. We draw the line and say, our message to the world is this. You have sinned and come short of God's glory. He offers you his grace. You can be redeemed, but it's only through Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. You look at the young people. Horrible. As I talk about it, I think back to where I was at a young at a young age as a teenager lost. I was as lost as anybody was. My dress code showed it to the whole world. The way I dressed, the way I talked, the way I acted, the way I grew my hair, the way I treated authority. It was all about me rebelling against God and God's authority. Twenty-some years later, you look back and you're handing gospel tracts out to the same age category where you think back where you were just as lost as can be. And you just see the same thing. And I'm telling you, that young teenager, that young adult needs Jesus Christ. They could be the next preacher. They could be the next evangelist. They could be the next missionary. 
You don't know. I don't know. What good does it do? The righteousness of God goes forth. That's what good it does. You just see it written all over. You pass tracks out. You see so many people. It just becomes so evident to you. The more you pass out, the more you get out there, the more you realize this world needs Jesus Christ. These young people need Jesus Christ. Five times we see the word full of compassion. Because we just read they have mouths full of cursing and bitterness. And I'm going to tell you, the more that you do public ministry and the more that you are rejected and the more you are told, well, what good does it do? And the more you are told, don't you think you can have a better way of doing this? And the more you are told, ah, we don't need God. The more that you're rubbed off, the more that people say, yeah, I'm going to show up and they don't show up. The more that all of that happens over a repeated cycle can easily cause any one of us to become bitter. And so watch, this is why I need to ask the question tonight, what are we full of? Is our mouths full of cursing and bitterness like where we were when we were lost toward God? But we've just replaced it now and our mouths is full of cursing and bitterness because the lost people we try to talk to hate our God. And it's easy to get resentful. It's easy to get bitter. It's easier to shake your fist at God and say, God, I'm, I'm working for you. Why can't you? Psalm 78 will be in the book of Psalms for a bit. Let's look at ver, uh, chapter, verse 38 and chapter 78. Psalms 78, verse 38. Psalm 78, verse 38. Let's back up to verse 35. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. The nation sins right in the face of God, who is so holy that he's so compassionate, that he's full of compassion. You know the type of just bitter anger and rebellion you have to have in your heart as a nation that's called apart to be God's chosen people? And he's so compassionate and he's so forgiving. You know how black your heart has to be to do this? They flattered him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. He's a forgiving God. He's a compassionate God. We look across our nation, the United States of America specifically. 
And all the things that we talked about, we see manifested. How can they do what they do? God has so blessed us. Yet people curse him. It's hard to put together. Psalms 85. Psalms 85, let's look at verse. I lost the spot there. Uh, I'm sorry. Go to Psalm, uh, chapter 86. I'm sorry. Psalm chapter 86. And let's look at verse 15. I have wrote that down wrong in my notes, but we have got it. Psalms 86. Look at verse 15. Uh, well, verse 14. Oh, God, the proud are risen against me and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. God delays his wrath and God delays his anger and he endures the conduct of the wicked sinner and he's plenteous in mercy and he's plenteous in truth. If I were God and praise God, I'm not God. And if you were God, I'd probably guess the same thing. We'd be anger. We'd be angry gods, we'd be bitter gods, we'd be resentful gods. <laughs> Why aren't these people doing what I tell them to do? Why aren't these people being honest with me? But that's not our God. That might be us if we were. He's so full of compassion. He puts up with the wicked conduct of sinners. You ever lose your, did you ever lose your temper as a parent? Imagine being God and being full of compassion, just long suffering, plenteous with mercy, and then looking down and seeing what his creation does. When all that, when all they have to do is repent and trust in him. Let's go over to Psalm 111, please. Psalm 111. Psalms 111. Let's look, glean a little truth from this passage. 111 verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. We're good at Giving a little piece of our heart to the Lord, just keeping back some because we've got we've got some plans or some. But we want to praise the Lord with our whole heart and the assembly of the upright, the congregation, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. And watch this. His work is honorable and glorious and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious. And full of compassion. We we all better be real careful. To remember. 
how gracious the good Lord is, how full of compassion the Lord is, how wonderful his works are. There's a time and a place for everything. I, I get that. But we tend to remember the negative more than we remember the positive. You know, we run these tournaments. And, you know, if you, if you have 100 people that come, 95 of them are having a great time. The vast majority of people that come are just, they're cooperative. They're understanding. They're forgiving. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're there to have fun. But you get one or two or three or four or five, and then you go home at the end of it, and you only remember the negative, and we can't lose light, the fact of the light that, you know, 95% of it was really, really good. And we need to learn to rejoice and remember the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, instead of always dwelling on that little percent in our life that's a kind of, well, this person dealt with me this way, this, this happened. We do better. We do better to remember the full compassion of the Lord. All right, two more. Psalm 112. Look at verse. Four. Chapter 112, verse number four. Under the upright. There ariseth light. In the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. How can the upright be in darkness? Well, you're saved. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about a dark time. Because under the upright there ariseth light. If you would say in the dark time, in the trial time, in the troubled time, in the time that isn't so fun. And God isn't going to save you from that. If you're going through a tough time, if it's a dark time, if you're going through some trial and some pain, the Lord isn't necessarily going to take you out of that, but he is going to save you in that. The time that you're in, that's why it says, under the upright there ariseth light in the darkness you're going to stay in that but god's going to give you enough light he's going to help you out enough he's going to save you while you're in that he's got enough compassion to see you through it you're going through something tough it's okay to pray god get me out of here but don't be disappointed in god if he don't get you out of here just trust that he's got enough compassion and grace and mercy to see you through it Psalm 145. Let's look at that one. Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Verse number eight. Simple. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger. And of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. I want to be, people say, I want to be more like the Lord. We got a call last night, and 
just finished track distribution. Did about two hours of that, and then the phone rings. It's the church number, so I answer it. And uh, the question was, does your church help people with their needs? And my response is, yes, our church helps all people with all of their spiritual needs. You notice the word I said? Spiritual, because I know what's a company. <laughs> I said, what spiritual need do you have? Well, do you just help with spiritual needs or do you help with physical needs too? Because I knew he had a physical need. I said, uh, well, the church is designed to help you with your spiritual need. And if you come to a church, the church that you attend, I'm sure that they would help you with your physical need if you have one. Well, you know, we're outside of the comfort in me and my wife and my family. So he gives me this sob story. So I said to him, well, did you ask the man at the front desk if they needed help in the kitchen or if they needed help in the laundry room? Well, no. I said, well, you might want to start with that. Well, you, you church, well, I'm calling a church and they're supposed to help. Oh, I said, OK, well, where did you go to church on this past Sunday? What does that have to do with anything? has to do with everything because wherever you went last Sunday, if that's your church, what did they say when you called them and, they, and, they, and, and you needed money for an overnight hotel? People don't want God. They don't want to come to church. They don't want God's word. All they want to do is mooch. Mooch. So we talked a little bit more and I said, uh, why don't you come out and see us? We'll get to know you a little bit and we, we could start building a relationship that he didn't want that. So we hung up. He called me back, left me a message saying, you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. Okay. I'm a hypocrite. And that's the kind of stuff you're going to have to deal with. But it's not hypocritical to never never come into a church house and not contribute to any church in town anywhere, but then call them and ask them for money. That's not hypocritical, but I'm the hypocritical. Now, because I'm not God and I'm not full of compassion and long suffering, my first thought was I was going to call him back and say, you know, what's worse than the hypocritical Christian. A mooching one, <laughs> but I didn't call. I didn't. I didn't call and say that. I just thought it. But we want to help. We want to help, and churches want to help. But we are not set up to be somebody's doormat. And you're just going to use us, and then throw us out. You need help. We are commanded as a New Testament church to help you spiritually. Physical needs, we're supposed to provide for each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And look, I see somebody that's hungry. I've done it many a times. Uh, especially in Philadelphia, we used to go to the place we used to train at. We used to park and then walk to the place we trained. There's homeless people and there's all these food carts. We'd buy them, we'd buy them fruit. we buy the fruit, give them the fruit. We wouldn't give them the money, so we don't want them to go spend it on drugs and all that. But we gave them some food. Anyway, God 
sees all this mess, all this sin, and he's as long-suffering as he can be. Slow to anger, full of compassion, and great and of great mercy. Ephesians 2. Verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You want, you want the best seat in the house? There it is. Salvation by God's grace. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What's our message? Grace, not works. And I know it's hard to look out in this world, and I know it's hard to put all this effort and all this work and the funds that we have into evangelistic outreaches and into trying to reach the lost. I know the discouragement is there. I know the rejection is real. But God raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've got the best seats in the house because we're in Christ Jesus. We just got to get that message out. How many of you heard there is no perfect church? It's a common saying that pretty much all Christians have said or heard at one time or another. We're not going to find a perfect church. You have these great aspirations as a preacher to have the perfect church. But the reality is, I'm not a perfect preacher. And the reality of it is, I'll never be a perfect preacher. With that said, my goal isn't to not be perfect. <laughs> I'm sure you would agree. And you would say the same thing. Look, I'm not a perfect Christian, but I sure strive to be. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's expected, it's reasonable for us to agree on doctrinal issues that come from the Bible. It's a reasonable thing. This is why churches have names. You come to a Baptist church, it's reasonable for you to expect that we're not going to put you in water and say that the water saves you. It's reasonable for you to have some expectations when you see Baptist. If you wanted somebody doing more charismatic stuff, you'd go to the Pentecostal church, right? So this is why they have names. Kind of identifies what they believe on some of these core doctrines. So it's expected we have some strong doctrinal agreement. 
But I think too many times we take the agreement far and we make it too much about agreement and less about advancement. We're King James only. And we'll, we'll do messages on why. But how long you want me to do that? <laughs> There's got to be a part where, okay, we agree, but we never went out and advanced. <laughs> okay, we're pre-tribulation. We understand the difference of some of these end time things. And yeah, we're going to go verse by verse on a chapter, but when we finish the chapter, but we never go out and advance. And all we do is try to focus on getting everybody to agree. We lose focus of what we are called to do, what we are commanded to do, the advance, the advancement and the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Proverbs 27, if you would. believe the Bible's the final authority. We believe hell is a literal hell. All these doctrines are important to have agreement on. We believe salvation is by grace. There's no works that we add to it. It's important we have agreement on that. Repentance is part of salvation. You have to repent. So there's agreement that we need to have but too many times we sacrifice it for the advancement of the gospel going out. Proverbs 27, a very familiar passage. Look at verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, a good friend's going to sharpen you. We all have people in our lives where there's disagreement. If you have a disagreement with a friend, I have few friends. The ones that I have that I'm close with, we have disagreements. We don't stop being friends. Depending on how long you've known someone, it's kind of rather fun to have some argumentative banter at times. Everybody got a friend like that? It's a nice friend to have. You have a spouse. and. You know, the guy thinks that when his wife marries him, she's going to agree with everything he believes and espouses. Except that happened never. <laughs> she quickly found out, or no, he quickly found out she's got a brain too and can think for herself and make her own decisions. And she's not. We have all of these grand ideas about our spouse, all these grand ideas about our friend. But the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Can't we get better at just trying to sharpen each other and get each other sharper so we can be more a more effective blade, a more effective sword as we wave the sword of the spirit? If I if you're dull and my friendship to you is Continuing to help you to be duller. Well, what kind of friend am I? But if I can see past some small differences, not major doctrinal differences, there's a time for that, for sure. You've been here any length of time. You know, I, you know, I understand the purpose of a New Testament church to teach doctrine. We all know that. But if I don't try to sharpen him, what kind of friend am I? 
I'm always just harping on the disagreement. Try that in marriage. You keep coming home and and, and, and you keep just correcting and correcting and correcting and correcting. Can we have some sharpening time? Everybody okay? All right. Uh, together, we can learn to grow closer to the Lord. Together, we learn and grow. And if that's what you want, welcome home. It's just what we want to do. All right? Sharpen. Let's sharpen each other. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter number 2. Okay. Let's see verse 15. Mark chapter 2. Verse number 15, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, oh no, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we have another pandemic, self-righteous so-called Christians. They may be saved, but this self-righteous, I'm holier than thou. I'm so much grander. I'm so grandiose in my Christianity that all I can do is critique And the whole critique is just based on what Jesus is trying to get these Pharisees to see. Not constructive critique. We all need some of that. We all need to be able to say, or we all need to have somebody be able to say to us, hey, why don't you take a look at this? That's being constructive. That's not what these Pharisees guys are. They're just trying to find fault with Jesus. It's a completely different motive that they have. And Jesus calls them out. You guys are so righteous. I got a better idea. I'm going to keep hanging out with the sinners and publicans. And here's what evangelism is. This. You're going to go to the fair. You're going to hear. You're going to go to the, the to the fireworks show, and you're going to hear music that isn't good music. And I will admit to you, some outreaches I have gone to and I've not taken my children to. Every dad can discern that, make the own decision based on where he feels his son or daughter is on their age and their maturity. I'm not here to judge that or make a law on that. But I will say, every outreach that you go and do, there's going to be sinners there. There are going to be people that don't live like you, think like you, act like you, talk like you, dress like you, and want the Lord that you're trying to so freely offer them. But Jesus went where the sinners were. To be influenced by them? No, to influence them. Why? Because he 
loved them. That's why he went. Not to be a part of what their sin is. Not to be influenced by their sin. But he loved them enough to come down here. And again, if you or I were God, you, you would really want to come down here? I wouldn't. I'd want to stay up in heavenly glory. These people don't care about me. But we go. And those people don't care about you. And they don't care about our God. But Christ hung out with sinners because he loved them and cared about them. But we go out and tell sinners about Jesus because of the same. He had 12 that were closest to him. We're not looking to go to be close to everybody. <laughs> we're looking to go because that's where Jesus went with the sinners. Hebrews 13. This will be it. Hebrews 13. What are you full of? You're full of compassion? You're full of love to go out? Try to reach a lost person? Hebrews 13, verse number 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. This is not an offering for sin. No, it's a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's the definition of thanksgiving. Our lips and the fruit of it that it produces, giving thanks to his name. That's true thanksgiving. Verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Again, the sacrifice that God is well pleased with, we're not offering something for our uh, sin atonement. But here it is this praise to God, this doing good, this this. He has to communicate to us, forget not, because we are always in great danger of this one thing. Always. Constantly protecting our own self-interests. We're always in danger of that, each and every one of us. And God says, forget not, give constant praise to me. Fruit of lips, giving thanks to God. Do good. Offer the sacrifice of praise. Here's what I want us to remember as we close out this weekend. Because we're going to close out with this last evangelistic outreach for this weekend. Let's hit Romans 6 and we'll finish out. Get there. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. People want to take God out. Anything that has to do with God. And all of the verses we ran in Psalms, how God can look down at a nation 
who he has blessed with freedom and liberty to basically do what we want to do. That's like kind of so far. I don't know how it's going to go from now on. But people thumb their nose at that God and have no respect. Freedom. Freedom. Romans 6.22. But now being made free from sin. If you're saved, you've been set free from sin and become servants to God. You are free to serve him. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Live a holy life. And you know where God's liberty and God's justice, it all comes from? Romans 3. His perfect son. All the liberty and justice you need in Christ came, it, 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 that you need is in the form of Jesus Christ. Let's let, look, look, it's so basic, but we'll finish with it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just. And the justifier of him which believeth. In Jesus. We were unjust. He was just. Sin had to be paid for. Justice. Always has to prevail. And so God made a way. So that you wouldn't be locked in the torments of eternal hell forever. The just one. Died for you. And he died for me. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his rising from the dead. All of that ensures that anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ can be saved from their sin and be a servant unto righteousness. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.